Welcome to uh, Think Jewish. And uh, this week we'll be discussing the Parsha Bereshis. Also on a, a personal note, I do get a little Mazel Tov. This week we started the 18th volume of our weekly emails, which originally started as the WinFax Pro for the ancient people like me that remember that. And thank God this is the 18th year I'll be writing um, weekly emails. So we're talking about the Pasha Bereshit. The title that you saw sent out today was, And God Said, Let There Be Light in a World of Darkness and Chaos. So let's go back to the Chumash. Let's see how the Chumash sets it up. And again, there's so much to talk about on Bereshit. Let's just focus on one teaching, which has two parts, which will help us deal with how we're supposed to live today. So what does the verse say? The verse tells us something interesting, which in itself asks so many questions. Uh, it seems to be that water was never created. It just says that the Spirit of God hovered upon the water. But it gives a very interesting description to what was going on before God created light. And what is that? Tahu vavahu vechoshech There was chaos, and then there was darkness upon the depths. So first there was chaos and darkness. And what happens after the chaos and darkness? And God said, let there be light. And those six letters, the three from the word Yehi and the three from the word Or, is the genetic making of let there be light. Light is made up of six divine letters broken into two words. Yud He Yud Alevav Resh Yehi Or. And then what does he write after that? And there was light. God said, let there be light, and there was light. So let's first back up to a very simple perspective. Each and every one of us, this is our life. Our life starts off with chaos and darkness, otherly known as egocentrism. The definition of darkness in Kabbalah, the definition of darkness when we talk about light being divinity, so what is darkness? What is the opposite of divinity, of theocentric, is egocentric. Let's talk about it on the Kabbalistic level of creation. What happens? So there's a very interesting teaching that sets up the first, very first scene, the Bereshit, the very first scene of creation. And it explains that before that, and we never know exactly what we mean by the word before that, that before time there was no time. So what does before that mean? But let's just talk the language of, of mankind. Before Bereshit, what was there? There was he and his light. That's what we're taught in Kabbalah. Hayahu Ushmo. What does the word Shmo mean? When we talk about light, the name, the name is the infinite light. The Or Ein Sof, the infinite light. So there was the essence and there was the infinite light. If you want to get a little more technical and Kabbalistic over here, within the infinite light itself, there was the essence of the light and there was two rays of light. There was the infinite ray and there was the finite ray. And we're taught in Kabbalah the reason why God made a contraction is because finite in the presence of infinite doesn't have an identity. So God was going to make a tzimtzum. He was going to reverse the infinite ray of light so that the finite ray of light can take its identity and through that we'll be able to create what will eventually develop into finite 
creations the way we know creation today finite so what it says is that first there was he and his light his infinite light all over everything else was swallowed within that and then God made a makam panui he created a contraction which created a emptiness so picture this if you may okay this entire page is he and his infinite light and right over here in the center God makes a circle and says the infinite ray should reverse instead of shining outward shine inward now what happened was that within that place that halal that emptiness what happened there was no infinite light thus we had the background of the finite light now we're able to introduce the finite light which will become the beginning of creation a little kabbalistic but the picture becomes clear the first everything was revelation then god pulled back and god reintroduced the finite light and that's the way creation exists and that is why it says why was there night before day because there was contraction before revelation that is why the verse says there was night before day if night represents concealment darkness day represents light revelation the way i just set up creation for you the first act of creation was not revelation it was concealment thus we understand why before we have the way he or we first have before you have any light you have darkness and so too it is with mankind in our own life we start off as the verse says Peda Adam wild egocentric everything's about me we know how a baby works and then we need to introduce the light of divinity selflessness theocentric I'm not the center of the universe God is the center of the universe this is something new that's a light shining upon the darkness and in truth if you look at the bigger picture what is the purpose of creation this is the purpose of creation God created the world that it should be in a state of darkness and what happens then we have a mandate what is our mandate our mandate is to do what God did what did God do when he saw darkness he said Vayihi or. What is our mandate to do when we see darkness? Vayihi or. Stand up and light a candle. There's a very beautiful saying in Chabad Hasidis that says you don't fight darkness with a broomstick, you light a candle. And that's a very important focus. You will find people that would love to spend their time meetings after meetings after meetings and committees upon committees with demographics and research and studies thousands and tens of thousands of dollars to get a complete picture of the darkness and then Jews do what we do as our favorite pastime we quetch about it versus the other thing is the minute you're presented with darkness light a candle 
What is the definition of light a candle? Plain and simple. Words of Torah, acts of goodness and kindness and caring. That's all it takes. That's what God said. Vayahi or. He doesn't emphasize and talk about how catastrophic the chaos and the depths and the darkness. He doesn't talk about that. He lets you know what was there and he let you know what he did. This is what he came upon and this is what he did. Vayahi or. He said, let there be light. If we would live our lives that way, we would stop spending our time and pontificating upon this unbelievable question, the purpose of life. You just heard the purpose of life. God presents you with the raw materials which is dark by nature and your purpose in life is that's all. Any situation you walk into, your job is to be a lamplighter. Your job is to, to light a candle. To become that lighthouse for the ships that are lost out in the darkness of sea. That's all. Really, if you want to think about it on a very practical to-do list way of thinking. What is the purpose of creation? You just heard it. And let's talk about it in, in very simple terms. The first thing is you should become a beacon of light. What does it mean a beacon of light? Study Torah so you have the Torah answers to questions. And live a life of goodness and kindness. Namely, do the 248s and don't do the 365s. And then what happens when you become that person? You'll become, quote unquote, the rabbi of your family. Every family. I don't care how secular there is. There's always the one brother or sister or aunt or grandmother who is the rav or the rebbetzin of the family. Doesn't make a difference what they look like, how they live their life. But they have more knowledge than I do. So they're the rabbi of the family. Who do we call up when we need to know what to do with an upcoming wedding? You call up this person. This one tells you, oh, you know, the Shabbos before, the Shabbos has to have the kalas of a Shabbat kala, and the chatan has to be called up to the Torah. They're the sage of the family. And what makes them the sage of the family? That they know more than anyone else. And how do they know more than anyone else? One or two things. Either they were brought up in that environment, or they took the time to learn. They became a candle. They became a lighthouse. And it's very important. And then what automatically happens is that once you become that sage, because you do take the time to learn, and you do take the time to do tradition, then what eventually happens is you're not only the sage to your family, you become the sage to the community. It's that simple. People know. That if you want to have any Judaism or any Jewish knowledge, you have any questions what to do, this person and this family, they're the beacon of light. They're the lighthouse. So if God forbid someone's in the hospital and someone passes away and you don't know what you're supposed to do, you want to do it the right Jewish way, you call up Mr. So-and-so or Mrs. So-and-so and they'll have the answers. They'll tell you what to do, make sure that they don't take out any parts of the body, make sure they don't remove the blood with the tubes, and they'll just all of a sudden know. That is your job and that is my job. To become the lighthouse in our environment. Simply what the verse says, Hashem yihi or, be light. That's all. It's that simple. And all of a sudden, it kind of, you lose the wind beneath the sails, the wind and the sails go, what? I thought that's such a huge, big question, the purpose of life. I thought we're talking Aristotle here. You tell me it's that simple? On a practical level, it's that simple. 
You want to know why your soul and why your soul was sent back down here and those stuff, that's secondary. Let's first get to the simple stuff that God said in the very first verses of his Torah. He took the time not only to tell us the laws, he took the time to tell us the history of the world. Because the history of the world is the history of every human being. Because every human being is an entire world. So if you want to know how your personal world starts, it starts the same way like every other world starts. In the beginning there's darkness and chaos. We're driven by hormones and then and just weather, whatever it may be. That's how our life starts. And the job we have is to hear the call and act upon it. or Can you bring light into this situation? Take it a step further. Whenever someone in life goes through any form of chaos, any form of chaos, there's two things you can do. And that's going to make the all the world of a difference of only one thing. If you were born, forgive me women, to be the Jewish drama queen, or you were born to just be the person who people turn to in chaotic times for calmness and leadership. It's just that simple. You have some people that the minute something goes wrong in their life, they, they not only get blinded by the smoke, but they're busy throwing on the stuff that causes more smoke. They're not, they don't mean it intentionally or unintentionally. I don't know what drives them, but that's the way it is. And then there's another person who the minute chaos hits, they immediately go into lockdown mode. Just straight lockdown mode. We'll deal with the chaos later. I know what the verse says. When God saw darkness and chaos, he right away said calmly, he didn't scream frantically, he just said, let there be light. If we can take this simple directive from its most mystical source of contraction, which we're going to talk about in a moment, to the simplicity of, okay, what can I do to shed light on the situation? Which light? The light of God. What is the light of God? Torah and mitzvot. That's really what it's all about. If you ever ask yourself a simple question, the entire book of Genesis does not belong in the Torah. If the Torah is a book of laws, why are we discussing the life of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? So you have the first Pasha, Adam to Noah, the second Pasha, Noah to Avram, and then the rest of the book is Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. If you ask yourself, why? It's a book of laws. Torah has a meaning. The word Torah comes from the word Hora'ah, lesson. Simply speaking, the Torah is the Jewish constitution. That's what it is. Maimonides clearly describes that the Torah is here to teach us that which we should do and that's what we shouldn't do. That's what it is. So why do I need the life story of Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov? Stick it in a different book. A very holy book, but a different book. The answer to that question is, write in the verse that we're talking about. Because the sages tell us, Maseh avot, siman libanim. The actions of our forefathers are nothing more than a siman, a sign. It's literally speaking, a signpost at the crossroads to tell us, their children, how to behave. If you think about that, you realize that the reason why the, the Torah documents the 
chaos of their lives. Literally, the chaos of their lives. Avram has to walk out on his older father. He's told, Lech Lecha. He has a whole story with Hagar and Sarah. The kids are fighting. One wife says, send away the kid from the other wife. These are all chaos stuff. We talk about sacrificing your child. You may think that that's an ancient story. It's a very realistic story today. Because every one of you women, God willing, going to have to make a choice. Do I send my kid to a Jewish school or to a non-Jewish school? That's simply the story of Abraham and Isaac on the altar. Because I want my kid to be the ultimate professional with the American dream. And most Jewish schools, unfortunately, whether we like it or not, it takes a, it takes a toll on the secular studies. Because they're spending half the day on this, half the day on the other. It's a private school. You don't have the funds of public school. So literally, every one of us is at our own levels. I sent my children away at 13. I never thought I'd send away my daughter at 13, 14. That's for me was Abraham at being asked, what are you going to do? Are you going to keep him here in a community school or are you going to send him to the yeshiva school that you grow up? That's a sacrifice. That's Abraham and, and Isaac on the altar. That's what it is. So I had to do it in my question between local Jewish Chabad community school versus yeshiva land. And each one of you are going to have the same question. What do I do? $30,000 a kid in Hillel or public school? And then when you get to high school, oh, the rumors that goes on about Jewish schools, when you get to high school, you're not going to be a nobody and a nothing. What college are you ever going to be accepted into? You got to go to crop. You got to go to here. So these stories are real stories to us. They're very real stories to us. The story of Isaac having children that wouldn't talk to each other the story of Isaac and Esau, the story of having one parent liking the other sibling. These are real chaos stories that we deal with. So of course in the world of Chassidus, we learn it on a very deep level. But that never negates a simple level. What do you do if you have that feeling that your father likes your brother and with Rachmanis, your mother backs you? That's a real story. That's a real story that many of us deal with. Or vice versa. So the reason why all of this is here is simply to teach us this is how light responds to darkness and chaos. You want to know how to deal with a father-in-law who's, who's out to murder you? Just read the story of Jacob. He had a father-in-law love him who just wouldn't let up. And this goes on and on and on. Jacob runs away from Esau. Isaac has to deal with a situation. All these stories, they're just one simple story. If you ask me, there's only one simple story. And there was chaos and darkness upon the depths. And now what are you going to do about it? And the verse tells you exactly what to do. Vayihi or. You know, Florida has so many people. I mean, we just met over here. A unique species of second generation Florida. God bless you, Miriam. But most people I meet have gone through relocating. That's not easy. That's not easy. Especially when you come from a Latin country, which is a total different bowl of wax on a community level. And on every level you can think of, it's different than America. And all of a sudden you come here and you start from scratch. What do you think you feel when you get off the boat? You were told that there's going to be a destiny that's, you know, the rainbow with not one pot of gold, two pot of gold. But when you really land here, what do you think you've come to? Let me read you the verse again. And there was chaos and emptiness 
and there was darkness upon the depths. Now what are you going to do? So if you want to live life just simply following the blueprints of creation, because the way God created the world is the way God created you. It starts off with darkness, chaos, and now what are you going to do about it? And our job is one and the same. It's always one and the same. That's the answer. Don't get into the sandbox with the darkness. Don't try to out-Americanize the Americans. Don't get into the Johns and the Joes and the Doe's and the this. It's just not going to work for you. Your response is very simple. I know who I am. I know what I want my house to look like. I know what I want my future to look like. This is what I got to do. Got to take a step back from the darkness and chaos and just be myself and from there project. You step out of your center, your being, you're going to get whacked around by no matter what you do, especially by the simulation of America. America is amazing in opportunity, but unbelievable in the challenge of melting down everything and everyone into one homogenous people. And that doesn't work. It won't work for the Jewish people, never has and never will. So the job of my grandfather when he got off the boat was Yehior. The job of the Venezuelans that ran to here, Yehior. The job of the Cuban Jews, Yehior. You come here, you see what there is, you take a step back, and you say, okay, I see what's going on here. Yehior. And what happens when you proclaim that Yehior and that commitment that Yehior what happens is you, you focus on the opportunities of this beautiful land of America rather than the melting, smelting pot of America. The American Jew who thinks that democracy demands for us to be American in the way we speak and think versus being Jewish has misunderstood what the founding fathers of countries built democracy on. The democracy over here was all about allowing you to be you. Not to have to give up. Not to have to give up your traditional foods, your traditional dress, your traditional Star of David. That's what it's all about. It's all about allowing a person to come to this land and say, Yehi or, which or? My or. I'm Jewish. My Torah. That's my Yehi or. That's what I've come here. The pursuit of happiness, that's my happiness. Liberty, that's liberty. Life, that's my life. For Torah mitzvahs is our life and the length of our days. And that's what we have. Just the beginning of Genesis is the beginning of every one of our lives. And when I say the beginning of our lives, I don't mean when we're infants. I mean when we happen upon such a class. And whoa, I didn't know this. Let's stop. Let's think about this. That's the beginning. Yehi or. Now let's get to the second point of the class. I don't know if many of you ever realized this, paid attention to it, but in Hasidus, this is a very key point in creation. Thirty-two times it says the word Elohim in Genesis, in the beginning of creation. Vayom Elohim. Yehi or, right? A lot of times. Yom al-Kim, Yehi ra-Kiev. Yom ar-Hashem, Tadashem. 
every single time after God says that, anything that God says, right? God said, let it be, whatever it may be. What does it always say? And it was so. There's only one exception. It's the only time where instead of saying, God said, let there be light, and it was so. Just like God said, let the trees give forth fruit, and it was so. No. Here it says, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. Chassidus wants to know why. Why didn't say like every time else? And it was so. Why is it he or? And Kabbalah Chassidus teaches something very important here. The light that God said is not the light that was. Very interesting. Vayomer Hashem yihi or vayihi or. Why didn't it say vayihi chen and it was so? Because it was not so. To understand this, I'm just going to back up a little bit with some Kabbalah teachings and then I'm going to focus on practicality for us. When you want to express something, there is no way, there's no human possible way for you to express what you are feeling or what you are thinking. Why? Because the power of letters and words simultaneously have two powers and one depends upon the other. The power of words is the power of expressiveness, but the power of words is also the power of limitation. For those of you who have ever studied first aid, which I happen to have studied before I went to camp and needed X amount of counselors to study first aid, one of the things they teach you is that one of the most dangerous things that can happen that first aid would need to know is shock. A person who's in shock because of what happened is in grave danger. You need to get them out of shock. So we all know, smelling souls, smack their face. Chassidus has a total different dimension to it. And you use it, by the way, in Shiva. We should never know from it. You talk. It's very interesting, but many people, when they go to the Shiva, the one thing they won't talk about is the topic that's in the room. We'll avoid the death. We'll talk about other things. Oh, I heard you took a fishing house. Fishing. We stay away from the D word, death. Interesting enough that in Jewish law it says you should specifically talk to the children, whoever it is sitting Shiva, and ask them, how old was your parent? How did they die? What did they die from? So I remember when the Rebetzin, in 1988, when the Rebetzin passed away, so a different Rebbe came to visit the Rebbe, do a Shiva call, and I remember that he started talking to the Rebbe, blessed memory, about the Rebetzin. What did she die from? How old was she? And the Rebbe was crying. And we were all like, are you crying? Get him out of the way from there. What, what, what is he making the Rebbe cry for? Enough. Until someone told me, no, what he's doing is what you're supposed to do. Why? Because the power of words, because its power limits your feelings, because you have to put it into finite words, because of that, it allows expressiveness and it takes you out of shock. Shock is the reaction when it is bigger than you. So you're just like. And that's what you'll notice when people are in shock. And you tell them, okay, what happened? So they start mumbling words that don't make sense. And you tell them, calm down, calm down, 
Tell me what happened. Okay, I heard something happened to Yaakov. What happened to Yaakov? You help them verbalize it. Because what's happening when they're verbalizing it, rather than it being bigger than them, they're able to encompass it and express it. So the rule in Hasidus, based on a teaching in Kabbalah, is that the infinite essence cannot express itself because it cannot finite itself. Making up words here. But it cannot finite itself. The power of words, because they put description, limitation, form, therefore becomes expressive. And that is why, my dear friends, you'll always find by true artists, true artists, whether it be music, poetry, drawing, we are awed by their work and they're disgusted by their work. Why are they disgusted? Because they know that what was here is not there. Versus us, we're like, oh my God, such a level of expressiveness. You see the difference? We're there awed by their power of expressiveness. They're, they're fighting with disgust at their power of expressiveness. It's not. What I had here and what I have here is not on that canvas. That's not even a pale reflection of a reflection of what I was really experiencing in that scene. Thus you understand the concept of yihi or by definition is contraction. And because of its contraction, it allows for expressive revelation. One of the examples I used one of these uh, holidays when I was talking about this at a sermon was that we wear sunglasses in order to see, not in order not to see. Without the sunglasses, we can't see. We're squinting, we're going like this. We put on the sunglasses and we can see. That's the power of words. The power of words is to be those sunglasses. I can't rip a piece of my heart and give it to you. I can't rip a piece of my brain and give it to you. I can't rip a piece of my soul and give it to you. But that's what every true artist is trying to do. Not that I'm here to lecture you about art, but the power of an artist is not in his hand. It's not what he can draw. It's what he can see. When you look at a flower and you see what an artist sees, the rest already is all technique. Most of us walk into a scene, we don't even know what. Oh, it was awesome, it was beautiful, it was unbelievable. You ask an artist, they don't just say it was unbelievable. They'll talk to you about the crevices in the moldings on the wall. It's just, you, did you see that? It's just art. They see things, the power of an artist. So what they're saying is, instead of this one big wow, they're giving you description. Description is expressiveness. Expre ex ex description is revelation. However, on the other hand, when the artist gives you this detailed, unbelievable little descriptions and building and everything, you're like, why did I ask him? I asked the other person, it was beautiful. What do you say? Wow! Because there's just something in a wow, which is just awesome. So the power of revelation is the power of holding back. That means description. As the saying goes, you can't drink 
from a gushing fire hydrant. You need a cup. Take a cup of water and drink. A cup is the Kabbalistic term for words and letters. So automatically when God said, Vayihi Or, let there be light, the next step was a finite contraction allowing for very explicit description of Yehi Or. It can't be any other way. Artists wish, wish that God would have said, and let there be light, and it was so. That's an artist's dream, to be able to have a vision of light, put it on paper, canvas, and say, and it was so. But they can't. You just can't do that. You can't do that with music. You can't do that with art. You can't do that with poetry. You just can't do that. It's, it's the dichotomy of the power of revelation, the power of expression. Thus, let's talk about this on a practical level. Very practical, very, 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 very practical is that Rosh Hashanah, we were all on high emotions. We were on the Vayomer Hashem Yehi Or. And we took resolutions. And some of us made the mistake of realizing that the resolutions you take on Rayom Kippur is not supposed to be an it was so, it's supposed to be an it was light. Little. We need to take in consideration. Victor Frankl has an amazing lecture where he talks about his lessons on flying. He said that when he was flying the plane, the pilot who was teaching him told him that if you want to go at that point, to that degree, you've got to really head to another point and another degree. Why? Because the wind factor is going to blow you off course. So if you go straight, you're really going to end up crooked. So you have to go crooked the other way to end up straight. It's the same thing with us. The Vayihi Or does not produce a Vayihi Chen. And let there be light does not produce and it was so. We've got to take into consideration the limiting factors of expression to be able to realize that when you made a resolution on Yom Kippur, later it's not going to be an it was so, it's going to be an it was light. A different light. A miniature light. A contracted, expressive, descriptive light of the unbelievable light that you felt on Yom Kippur. I want to take it to a Kabbalistic level. When it talks about creation, it says, always and God said, Vayomer, Vayomer, Vayomer. How many utterances did God say? Ten utterances. These ten utterances, built upon everything I just told you, was descriptive, finite light. It wasn't the original Vayihi Or, it was the aftermath Yihi Or. It wasn't the light that God said originally, it was the contractive, expressive, descriptive light of that light, which means a ray of that light. People think, we're in the Torah, do you have another, another time that God speaks ten things? Ten commandments. Ten commandments. So, in Genesis it says, Vayomer Hashem, and God said. In, in the Ten Commandments it says, Vayedaber, different type of speech, much more projected, comes from the inside. Another interesting thing, what does what letter Shoshana does the first saying of Genesis begin with? What's the first letter of the Torah? A bet. What is the first letter of the Ten Commandments? 
Aleph, Anochi. Again, the difference. Genesis begins with the second letter. It is the contractive, descriptive light, the ray of light of God's light. What's about the Ten Commandments? Ten Commandments is a total different light. The Ten Commandments is the first original light. Let's go back to everything I said to you in the beginning. And God created darkness. Now we have a deep understanding of what darkness is. Darkness is not just pre-let there be light. Darkness is even post-let there be light. Why, Miriam? Because the light was a contracted, descriptive light. That light in the face of true light is only a shadow and a ray of light. So when it says, let there be light, where in our life do we have the true purpose of bringing true light into darkness? Is in the Ten Commandments. And thus, entire creation ends with an unbelievable verse. Vayyere vayhiboker yom not shishi ha shishi. People, remember what you learned in Hebrew school? Prefix he means the, the sixth. That means we're talking about a specific sixth. Our sages want to know. Doesn't say hasheni, hashlishi. What does it mean hashishi? The sixth. Our sages say from here we know that the ten utterances of creation. Let's define that. The contracted ray of light is dependent upon hashishi. Which hashishi? People, what day of the month were the Ten Commandments given at Mount Sinai? On the sixth day of Sivan. Thus we're hearing that the definition of our mundane light, let me define that. There's a light called be a mensch. You know that? You speak Yiddish a little bit? Be a mensch. Be a, be a decent person. Right? That's what Genesis is all about. Be a decent person. God is your creator. Be a mensch. You wouldn't treat your boss like that, and he didn't create you. He only gives you a paycheck. Now we're talking about God. Be a mensch. The way you're careful, the way you talk to your boss. Be careful the way you talk to God. If your boss tells you he wants something on his desk by this and this time, you produce it. If God tells you that he wants you in the morning to say modani, say it. Be a mensch. Why should you be a mensch? Read Genesis. He created you and he created all your sustenance far beyond your paycheck. So the light, the diminished light, the diminished light of Genesis is what? Be a mensch. However, that diminished light of being a mensch is dependent upon the essence light of the Ten Commandments. I had a very interesting conversation with someone who was talking to me about the importance and the work of Federation, Jewish Federation, and we were talking about Tikkun Olam. And I shared with him my humble opinion. There is no such thing in Judaism as Tikkun Olam. There's only one thing in Judaism. Do what God said. We, the Jewish people, don't race to countries to go ahead and give human aid because of tikkun olam. Why do we Jews do that? 
because this olam is bereshit bara elokim et hashemayim et haaretz. Our tikkun olam is not a humanitarian cause. It's a divine godly cause. The day that we decide that all we need to do is be a mensch, we're lost. But the day that we realize what Mark Twain said about us, that we are the conscience to the human race. Which conscience? Divine conscience. Once we realize that the ten utterances are dependent upon the ten commandments, when we realize that in Genesis it went wrong, God said, let there be light, and it wasn't so. There was light, a different light, a contracted light. But where did it go right? Was in the Ten Commandments. In the Ten Commandments, God said, I am God, your God, and that is why you shall not steal and you shall not kill. Why should you not steal and should not kill? Because I am God, your God. When the Jew realizes that our definition of being a mensch is not a cause of humanity, it's a cause of divinity. When we realize that as a Jew, when we come to a new land and a new country, we don't face just moral challenges. We face divine challenges. When we look in the mirror and we ask ourselves, am I just a mensch? Or am I a Jewish pillar to my family, to my community, to my people, to my land? That's the deeper question. And that's the second half of what I'm trying to share here tonight. The first half is very simple. When you come upon chaos and darkness, and we all do when we move on in life, every one of us does. So between one stage of life and the next stage of life, there's going to be darkness and chaos. A lot of challenges. So the first thing you have, to know, do, you have to know is don't get swallowed up. Don't get dirty with it. Take a step back. I'm not going to fight this chaos and darkness with a broomstick. I'm going to light a candle. Which candle? The ner mitzvah Torah or. The candle of mitzvot and the light of Torah. That was part number one of this class tonight. Part number two is to realize that there's two different lights. The first light of being a mensch is the contracted, descriptive ray of light. That's not the ultimate plan of God. God wants more from us than just to be a mensch. He wants us to realize that the second half of the verse, how does it say, and it was so, instead of, and there was light, is by the sixth day of Sivan. By realizing that before the bet of Bereshit comes the Aleph of Anochi. When we can face the fact that we're going to have to answer ourselves in the mirror, forget everything else, we're going to have to answer ourselves in the mirror, not only was I an honest person, but we're going to have to answer the question, was I a Jewish person? Was I just a kind person? Or was I a, a caring Jew for my fellow Jews, for my land, for our Torah, for our people? Did I only live the bet of Bereshit and there was light? Or did I live the Aleph of Anochi 
that I make myself a representation of God upon this world. Once we bear that in mind, life's journey is very clearly mapped out. The Talmud says there is no joy as getting rid of doubt. One of the beautiful things we have as Jews is if we would just follow the Jewish law, most of our doubts are already gone. Because much doubt we create. We create doubt just like we create smoke, just like we create drama. It helps us not have to deal with the right answer. I tell most people that come to talk to me, I don't know what to do, Rabbi. It doesn't take long for me to show them, you always knew what to do. What you didn't know was how to do it. Because it's not easy what you have to do. The right thing isn't easy. So when we don't like what we have to do, we create a big question. I don't know what to do. We do know what to do. Sometimes we just need that help and strength to know how to do it. That you're not going to find in the 10 sayings of Genesis. That you're going to find in the 10 commandments of Exodus. People, thank you.